If you want to cultivate, nurture an inquisitive spirit, then you have to feed it with things that assist the imagination. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So, Andrew, have you ever heard this term, writing across the curriculum? It were buzzwords mm-hmm. for a long time. Sure. I haven't been close enough to many public schools or schools that have said that, mm-hmm. but I think you can find pretty much any teacher who's been around for a decade or more will have heard this idea. And, of course, it dates all the way back to when Webster mm-hmm. was teaching at Dalhousie. Right. And that's part of how the whole writing thing got going Right, was this idea of we're going to now have students write about stuff they're learning about, and then they can learn writing and stuff at the same time. Right. And <laughs> right. And writing no longer became exclusive the do- exclusively the domain of the English department. Other disciplines suddenly had to learn how to teach writing. That was what happened, mm-hmm. Dr. Webster, and this was back in, gosh, the 1970s. Mm-hmm. He was teaching at Dalhousie, and they came up with this idea that every department should have a writing in its field right. class. Mm-hmm. And so nobody wanted it in history. He got it. And so he found it to be a very interesting and exciting area to expand into beyond just university-level African history, Mm -hmm. world history, which is what he taught, into writing as a part of the study of African world history. Right. And his courses became very popular. That's what I have been told by him, that Mm -hmm. gradually over time, probably a few years, word got around that if you wanted to learn to write well, you would take African history from Dr. Webster Mm -hmm. because that's where he was implementing in a more formalized and consistent way his structure and style ideas that he had developed in a nascent form 20 years before when he was teaching elementary, middle, and high school. Right, right. And Of course, we know that story. You and I, I've heard you tell it many times, and it never gets old. And I love that. That's kind of where our whole program started, but yet it even goes further back than that, where he was talking with his aunt. You say aunt because they say aunt. (laughs) I always say aunt. It's from the eastern seaboard. I am trying to train all of my grandchildren to say aunt. Aunt, yes. Okay, well, there. So his Aunt Gertrude, who is... Because you can eat ants if you want to. 
You can't eat aunts. <laughs> it's a very important distinction. It, it is very important. And they're not homophones or whatever. <laughs> but he was sitting with his aunt, yes. Gertrude, which yes. Gertrude is her middle name, which I think is kind of, that was also a family tradition where you called each other by their middle names. Burton is, is his middle name. Middle name yeah. And Gertrude is Mrs. Ingham's middle name, Anna Ingham. And she, of course, developed the blended sound site program of learning, but she had this Unit 3, which which is now known as Unit 3. three yeah, she created this idea of the story sequence chart right, and to he, help her little grade 1 and 2 students write better stories. Right, and he thought, well, this would apply to my science projects. So this, when the students are writing up lab reports, they could kind of use that same idea of three-paragraph model and yeah, yeah, and it you know gradually over the years, I don't know, I I know how he came up with most of the units, mm-hmm. and then of course what happened was after he finished teaching middle and high school, he went off to um, the University of Lon- London and got his PhD in African history, mm-hmm. and then on a UNESCO grant, I believe, went to Africa and ended up several different places in Africa teaching in the universities there. Mm-hmm. And for the Africans, their need to focus on writing mm-hmm. was much greater because English wasn't necessarily a second language, but it wasn't nearly as well developed in the schools mm-hmm. at sure. that time. Sure. And so he you know, was attending to the teaching of writing at the university level in Africa. And we're just, just as a, what you may not know, Andrew, <laughs> what I know, because I've got the list in front of me of our future podcasts, but we do have a plan to record overcoming English language learner challenges. And so this has been something that Dr. Webster has been doing. And of course, we've been doing for decades. I never know the podcast we're doing until minutes before. This is true. This is true. <laughs> but yeah, that's a great subject to talk about. And mm-hmm. yeah, you can imagine, you know, teaching in Malawi and Nigeria, he had students with varying ranges of English mastery. Mm-hmm. And uh, he found that the things he taught in, you know, middle and high school in Canada were perfect mm-hmm. for helping students collect up, organize, and present ideas better in Africa. Then when he came back to Dalhousie in the 70s, late 70s, he he kind of discovered that the quality of writing skills that he observed had really declined Hmm. in, say, the 20 years that he'd been Hmm. mostly in Africa. So he that's where he developed his uh, you know advanced level checklists. Mm-hmm. But he was using dress ups, openers, topic clincher, decorations, basic essay model forms to teach to bring his Dalhousie students up to you know what he considered par mm-hmm. in terms of writing ability. The students discovered that they were learning from him things that they had not learned right. in high school or university English classes or or elsewhere. So word got around, you know, if you wanted to learn to write better, take African history, don't mess with the English department. (laughs) Well, and, you know, English, of course, a lot of those instructors were, were, you know, professors were trained in literature. And 
a lot of great authors break the rules. Yeah, and there's there's also this kind of objectivity mm -hmm. that history lends itself. True. Yeah. You know, I think back. I don't remember a whole lot from school, mm -hmm. honestly, mm -hmm. but I do remember in middle school how I really liked writing reports, kind of doing research reports, history, and how I really disliked having to write in English class about stories or mm -hmm. fiction. I, I mean, and the problem is you tend to kind of gradually disconnect yourself from the memory of the things you dislike. Mm -hmm. So I don't really remember anything about English classes, but I do remember social studies mm -hmm. because that I found was a lot more, a lot more manageable and it was concrete and you could know what to do in order to get a good grade, which mm -hmm. of course is the only thing that really matters to <laughs> you know, a middle school student like me. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really enjoy writing at all until I was an adult and I had something that I knew well and I wanted, I was motivated to share that with people, right. which in my case was about music, Suzuki Method, early childhood music education. Mm -hmm. And that was where I first started to kind of like the process of writing stuff and sharing it with people. Right. And even that story right there just demonstrates how important it is to keep writing applicable to all academic disciplines to to just say multiple choice in history and science and you know any of the humanities and relegate writing only to the English department i mean i can't tell you the last time i wrote something like a critique or some type of pracy related to literature in my job i write all the time whether it's an article whether it's a blog post most of the time, it's emails. That's what yes. I do. Yeah. And a but, lot of them I send your way. <laughs> but even people have shared with us mm -hmm. that, you know, as adults learning the structure and style system yep. through the TWSS course, maybe they want to teach their own kids or they're teaching someone else's kids or they stumble into it accidentally. Mm -hmm. They will come and say, this has helped me so much, mm -hmm. even in writing my emails. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Because you know. good writing is good writing. Wherever you see it. I, I'm going to do a little spider web here, but I think oftentimes teachers will get hung up on this idea of modes of writing. Like, mm. do you do compare and contrast essays? Do you do expository, persuasive, narrative? Argumentative, yeah. all these different types of writing. And, and the truth is our writing system does hit on those, touch on those, but we're not going to spend a whole semester on that or necessarily. Well, you know, we do it with we do it with our models. Mm. So, mm -hmm. unit 3 is a narrative model. Right. And depending on the age and experience, we would spend a month plus or minus a week or two on that. Mm -hmm. And then we would move into unit 4 which is more of the expository. You're collecting up, organizing, presenting information. Mm -hmm. So we have the model. Then we go over to Unit 5, the writing from pictures, and we get into really kind of descriptive. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at it very objectively, Unit 5 is about event description. Mm -hmm. It may come out kind of like a narrative story, but mm -hmm. it doesn't have to. But you're right. looking for inventing the details 
to go with pictures. Mm-hmm. So now we're in the descriptive world. Then we get over to Unit 6. We're back in expository, but with the added twist of more than too much information, right. like too, <laughs> too, too much information. And uh, then we're back into that idea of description in Unit 7, and then that segues very directly into Unit 8. <clears throat> and then from Unit 8, you can go into beyond just expository into argumentative or persuasive modes. And then you get into with unit nine, the critique and the extensions off the critique into analytical. Right. Right. Yep. So, you know, we do it all, but those words in and of themselves aren't terribly helpful to to most students mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or even to most teachers. So uh, I think Webster's organization of the nine units was very brilliant mm-hmm. because and I, it may be more brilliant than even he was. There may be a bit of, you know, uh, providential inspiration mm-hmm, happened mm-hmm. because as you go through over the course of the year, you get this balance of opportunity to work with content, mm-hmm. right, for units four, six, and eight, two, four, six, and eight, and opportunity to be inventive and creative with units three, five, and seven, and nine. But you can even integrate historical, scientific, literature, I mean, nutrition, anything you're interested in, you can integrate that into the creative unit side as well. Right. And Webster, being primarily a history guy, was always interested in content. Mm -hmm. And of course, we've talked about this many times from reaching the reluctant writer up to university ready writing stuff is when you give people information to work with, Mm -hmm. they don't have so much trouble with the problem of I don't know what to do. Right. Exactly. And so we start with unit two. Okay. Here's some interesting information about a person, a place, an animal, a thing that might be interesting in some way, even perhaps slightly disgusting or dangerous (laughs) or amusing to a child in an Mm -hmm. appropriate way. Right. And then, you know, we just move from there. So, you know, if, if Webster hadn't heard the term writing across the curriculum, he could have invented it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because he was already doing it. He was already doing it. And of course, when I when I think about all the different content that we provide to the students to write about, you know, so like you said, units two, four, six lend themselves very easily. And we have, of course, over the years developed many, many, many theme-based books that all have a theme to them. And I'm just going to read through a list here. We have Bible heroes for our primary students. So these are stories about David and Goliath and Mary and Joseph. There's uh, people and places in our community. Those are the community helpers. These are both primary level books. All things fun and fascinating. And I love all the different things that students, third grade students, third or fourth grade students are writing about. They're writing about the giant stinky flower. Yes. They're writing about limeys. They're talking. There's a few Aesop's fables in here. Mm -hmm. The Ant and the Grasshopper. Well, the, the thing about Braille and how he developed, right. you know, that silent method of communication mm-hmm. in the war trenches, you know. Yep. It's just the things that children lock onto mm-hmm. are those things that are just really 
interesting. Yep, yep. And then they get into it. Right. Like, this is cool. Right. And they want to retell. They want to elaborate. They want to communicate. They want to share. What do you, you know, think back. What do your children, what do my grandchildren want to tell me? The things that are interesting. The weird and interesting yeah. stuff they just heard about. Yes, exactly. And so when we choose our materials for the kids to write about in our theme-based books, these are not history books. I was just about to touch on some of the history books we have. They are not history textbooks. No, no. They are books designed to perhaps go with a history curriculum. So if you're studying ancient history and you have, say, a spine text, then you can use our ancient history-based writing lessons, and then you're perhaps writing about some of the same things that you're reading about in your history. Yeah, and there's connection, there's overlap, there's extensions. You know, I I do try to stress that, you know, people at conventions will sometimes say, well, if I do this, you know, ancient history-based writing lessons, is that my history curriculum? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the answer is no, probably not. Mm -hmm. You, You need... If you're studying ancient history, Mm -hmm. this would be a good choice for writing stuff because it's going to connect. But one of the differences in a history textbook, you're generally getting those things which are considered the most important for a big picture understanding. Right, right. Whereas what we've got are some of those things that may not make the list of most important but probably make the list of a little bit more interesting. Right. Uh, I remember um, I contributed some source text to the ancient history mm-hmm. on uh, Alexander's horse, mm-hmm. Bucephalus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's so fascinating. But you wouldn't say Alexander the Great's horse rates up there among the 25 most important things in ancient history that you could <laughs> right. learn about. Right. But it probably it's probably on the 25 most interesting things right, you right. could, especially and, if you're a kid who loves horses. And, of course, when you're writing about something, you remember that more than just reading about it. You're, yeah. you're interacting with it more. And Absolutely. So going a lot deeper, which, of course, is what we want our kids to just have that experience of, I really know something that maybe you don't even know about this really weird chicken who was... <laughs> <laughs> Looking at our structure and style the for The chicken students. who lived for a while without a head. Without a head, <clears throat> Mike, the headless and chicken. Became and became a curiosity. Yes. yes. And, and you know, we, we just had a conversation just before we started this podcast. Why would we include something like this? Well, first of all, it's a middle school source text. It's a unit four. So we're looking for something that has too much information. This gives the students an opportunity to make good life choices. Because whenever you say yes to something... You have to say no to something else, right? That's a mommily right here in our family, right? So unit four is life lessons. There you go. But here we have this source text. It's a couple pages long, and it's this fascinating story, true story, Mm -hmm. about a chicken whose farmer and wife are going to have chicken dinner or take it to the market. And by some miracle, some fluke of nature, it survived and this couple took it on the road. and Yeah, it had enough of a brainstem left yeah. that it could stay alive, but they had to feed it through its esophagus because there was no mouth. There was yeah. no part of the head. Right. I, you know, some people might look at that and say, ooh, that's gross. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you're 11 years old, mm-hmm. especially if you're a boy, mm-hmm. That's not gross. That is amazing. I know. That you can't wait to go home and tell someone about but, it. You know, we have these buzzwords in education. Mm-hmm. We talked about this idea of writing across the curriculum. The other one is, you know, cultivating lifelong learners. Mm-hmm. Right? And 
so schools are in this awkward position of saying, here's things that are part of our standards or our textbook or our curriculum that may or may not be interesting, but you have to read about them and you have to remember some of them because we're going to test you. And at the same time, we want to cultivate lifelong learners. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, how do you do that? And there's a balance. Well, and that reminds me of a story that you tell. I'm not sure which talk it's from. You probably remember about you going into a classroom and wanting to teach about this Spanish explorer, I believe. Yeah, I was in a middle school, and this was early on. This was before we had much in the way of theme-based books or mm-hmm. source text for teachers. I was working with a, it was a public school in Washington State, and... Uh, I believe it was a sixth grade mm-hmm. classroom. And I really was trying to show the teachers, look, you can use what you have. Mm-hmm. And so I said, okay, let's open up the textbook mm-hmm. and see what you're reading about. And they, in that grade level, were doing explorers or empire expansion or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the beginning of the chapter was about Pedro Menendez. De Avila, if I remember correctly, but Menendez is. Mm-hmm. And it had a paragraph about him being a Spanish guy mm-hmm. who came to Florida and he, he came to St. Augustine, Florida. Okay. And I read this thing and I thought to myself, this is the most boring couple paragraphs that anyone could have written mm. about this guy. Mm. There's no way this guy could be as dull as this textbook. Mm-hmm. So I got a, an encyclopedia. It's probably a world book or mm-hmm. Collier's or whatever was around. This is actually almost pre-internet days. So <laughs> okay, right. it wasn't like I could whip out my phone and go to Wikipedia. But mm-hmm. <laughs> So I looked in the encyclopedia and I looked up this guy. And I was immediately stunned with how fascinating this guy was. Mm-hmm. First of all, he left home when he was like 14, 13 mm-hmm. or 14 to join the Spanish Navy. Okay, now you're talking about middle school kids and you got someone who leaves home at 13 or 14 to join the Navy? That pricks the imagination right there. Well, you can't do that in this world today, but you could do it in the 1600s or 1500s. This guy's really, I mean, he's like the very beginning of people coming over to North America. Secondly, he like rose through the ranks because he Mm -hmm. was super ambitious Mm -hmm. and a little bit on the bloodthirsty side. Okay. (laughs) And so, you know, he, he reached this point where he became like a a captain Mm. at this very young age. And then he was in charge of coming to St. Augustine, which had previously been inhabited by the French. Mm. So his first thing was to basically kill all the French people that were there Mm. and claim it for Spain. Okay, this is horrible, bloodthirsty, Mm. you know, genocidal act. Mm. You can't put that in a highly sanitized school textbook. Mm. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting. Right? Right. Anyway, he ended up becoming like the whole governor of some place and mm-hmm. he died this big rich general. You know, and we don't have people in the military political world like that. We kind of have people in the business world that might be <laughs> more along those lines. Mm-hmm. But th- my my point 
in this was you can look at something you want to learn about and probably go and find out some stuff that's more interesting than what made the textbook cut, mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. made the important cut, and and bring that into right. the experience of learning. Mm -hmm. And that's what drives kids to want to find out more. Right, exactly. That love of learning and, and how many of us growing up found history boring? Well, perhaps because we were not reading. Well, I mean, you can find history boring or not, and some people are naturally attracted to mm -hmm. it. But I think teachers and teaching parents and tutors, you know, it gets to that kind of core concept that I teach when I start out Unit 4, mm -hmm. right? Which is, I suggest that the kids, when they have too much information, choose what's interesting, important, or relevant. But I personally am more interested in what's interesting because I think what's interesting is more interesting than what's important. But there are people who are clearly convinced that what's important is more important than what's interesting, and you will sacrifice one for the other because, mm -hmm. as you said, if you're doing one thing, you can't do another. You can't, right. do, you can't do everything. You know, now, as kids grow up, they start to be in that zone of saying, well, what's logical? What makes sense? What's useful? What is relevant mm -hmm. here? Mm -hmm. And so you then narrow accordingly. So if you want to focus on Pedro Menendez and what he did in terms of bringing Spanish dominance to Florida, then you would say, okay, we'll focus on that part. But as an objective guy out of history, there are some really interesting things that you would, mm -hmm. as a younger student, just want to lock onto. Mm -hmm. And I think everything has that, whether you're talking about you know, animals and you end up with a headless chicken, right. <laughs> you know, um, but, but I, I have found really, and I've observed this in my children, other people's children, I'm starting to observe it in my grandchildren, that if you want to create an inquisitive spirit, you don't have to create it. If you want to cultivate, nurture, maintain even an inquisitive spirit, an inquisitive mind, then you have to feed it with things that f assist the imagination, that mm -hmm. capture the imagination. Yep, yep. And then what happens is they grow up into adults who have an inquisitive mind and will start to then pursue on their own the research of what they're drawn to. And of course, you know, that can lead to wonderful things like Jonas Salk or Albert Einstein. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. And so this this whole idea of writing across the curriculum, you can't do it all. So find the things that your kids, your students are going to lock onto, be really captivated by so that they're more likely to want to do more writing and therefore become better at it. You know what would be very interesting is if we were to invite any of the listeners of mm -hmm. this podcast to maybe send us a short little description or sharing of their experiences in teaching across the curriculum or teaching a subject mm -hmm. like history or science or nutrition or recreation yep. or you know whatever they have to teach in schools. Mm -hmm theology, religion, mm -hmm. um, 
and and maybe we could do another podcast at some point mm-hmm. and read some of those. Yep. Because I think a lot of us we get inspired to try something when we hear stories of other people having had good experiences with that. Right. And uh, you know I kind of all fuzzed together in my brain over the couple decades, but I've had so many interesting stories from teachers over yep. time who were saying that they never imagined teaching writing and history together could be so efficient, use of time, so engaging, and so long-term useful. Absolutely, absolutely. And because the more you write about something, you're going to remember that a lot longer than if you didn't. It yeah. was just something, a fact you had to memorize and then regurgitate on a text. And, and one of those teachers, I've mentioned this, I'm sure, before, but... Um, Wonderful woman, public school, Spokane, Washington. And she said to me one time, she said, you know, one of my students told me at the end of the school year this past year that she learned more in my class than Mm -hmm. she ever learned in any class before. Wow. I think it was like fifth grade or Mm -hmm. something. Mm -hmm. And she asked the student, well, why do you think that is? Mm -hmm. Which is a great question to ask. And the the girl said, I learned how to think better mm. about everything. Mm-hmm. And this teacher, she connected that very directly with the writing yep. that she had done so well and consistently over the course of the school year. So kids know. They know when they're learning stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we want to look for those clues and do more of that. Yep. Yep. Sounds good. So dear listener, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at podcast at IEW.com and perhaps we'll do another mailbag episode. We haven't done one of those for a while and just read some of your responses of how you have found teaching writing with structure and style a good way to teach across the curriculum. That would be great. Great. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcasts. Here you can also find show notes and relevant links from today's broadcast. One last thing, would you mind going to iTunes to rate and review our podcast? This really helps other smart, caring listeners like you find us. Thanks so much.